Well, hey, what's going on, everyone? Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We are back with another episode of Become a Good Podcast, uh, where we highlight uh, everyday, regular, ordinary people of faith who are finding ways to utilize their, their passions, their skills, their gifts, uh, their resources, uh, and their influence for the common good. And uh, again, the hope is that as we share these stories, um, you're going to be inspired, you'll be encouraged, you'll be challenged to think about the ways uh, in which God might be inviting you to uh, personally be about the common good in the spaces and places that you get to occupy and influence on a day-to-day -day basis. And so uh, today, uh, I just want to jump right in. Super, super excited to have on the show uh, two of my favorite people, Ian <laughs> Abe and Kayla Ewan. This is like the family podcast. Got the cousin on the podcast, got the sister-in-law. Um, thanks so much for, for hanging out on the Zoom. Uh, we're, we, we, I guess we could call this the family podcast, but we're actually going to call it the teacher edition. <laughs> That's kind of our, our subject matter for today. Uh, we've got two amazing teachers in the house, in their homes, literally in their houses. And uh, we're going to talk about what it's like to, to be a teacher, um, what it's been like to teach in a pandemic, and, uh, and all that fun, fun, juicy stuff. So, um, hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, hey, I thought we could just, to kick things off, just by way of introduction, um, and as a way for you to uh, introduce yourselves to our listeners, uh, just tell us really quick, um, as much as you feel comfortable, um, how long you've been teaching, um, where you teach, uh, if you want to share that, um, what age, perhaps what age group you teach, and uh, if applicable, uh, what, what subject matter you teach. So I don't know how you all do this in your classrooms, but um, whoever wants to start can start. <laughs> I call people out, so go, Leanne. Oh. No. Ooh, I don't call people yeah. out. I wait till people raise their hand. <laughs> raise the virtual hand. Uh, I can go first. Um, I have to think about what you asked already. Um, let's see. I've been teaching. I've been... Okay, so so I've been in, in, in education for about seven years now. Um, I started off teaching in early childhood, so I taught I taught preschool and worked with um, three to five year olds, and then started kind of moving up and supporting at the elementary level. Um, and then um, I'm now in my second year of teaching third grade, um, and I've really loved it having my own class and, and working with my group of kiddos every year awesome which means you also teach every single subject there is oh yeah I try <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> yeah I only teach one subject um I uh, teach high school science and I started teaching back in 2012 um, since then I took two years of maternity leave, but thankfully in those two years, I was still able to be connected to the school that I was teaching in through coaching and other activities like that. So I've actually been at my school for, this is my ninth year there, but my seventh year teaching. Um, and I, I say science generally, but, um, so currently I'm teaching, um, it's a semester long course, first semester of physics, second semester of chemistry. Uh, but I have taught biology, general chemistry, and forensic science as well. So um, the general science certificate has taken me in many directions. <laughs> um, but I, what I've been teaching, I've been teaching for almost four years now, and I love it. It's, it's my favorite one. So um, yeah, I'm also very happy uh, with where I'm at. Very cool. Um, you know, it's been said, and, and I don't know if you would agree, I, I would assume that, that you would agree with this statement, but uh, I hear, and uh, even perhaps, uh, obviously, I, having conversations with each of you, uh, I just recognize that being a teacher is, is a lot of work. Te being a teacher is hard. And, um, you know, teaching as a career and as a profession is often considered one of the, the most um, undervalued, underappreciated, uh, underpaid uh, careers or professions that one could choose into. So, you know, 
I, I guess I, I got asked the question, like, why, why, why be a teacher, right? Like most people don't become teachers for the money or to climb the corporate ladder. Like what was the motivation? Um, what was the thing that inspired you or compelled you or perhaps called you to, to choose into uh, this particular career path and vocation? That's fine. I'll go. Um, so teaching had never crossed my mind ever growing up. Uh, and I actually think the seed was planted uh, my senior year of college. I was recruited by an organization called Teach for America. And they um, recruit people out of college of all different kinds of backgrounds. Uh, I think what was appealing about me was that I, I played sports. And so sometimes those kind of uh, values or characteristics that athletes can have or just situations they've been in kind of fit well with Teach for America as it's an organization um, that trains teachers to become teachers in like six weeks and then pits them in some of the lowest income areas in the United States to help um, elevate the level of learning. So for example, if I had applied with it, I would have been in like a fifth grade class teaching kids who were reading probably at a first or second grade level. And so <laughs> I think that says a lot, just in a nutshell, a lot about the education system in America that they would just give six week trained teachers to the kids who probably need, you know, the pros, but that planted a seed. Um, and I think I'm really happy that I fell into this because um, I kind of live by the mantra, the mantra that was my Canadian accent coming out. I kind of live by the mantra of um, it's not enough to be good if you have the ability to be better. And I want to always apply that to my life. And I think teaching really fits into that. You can be a good teacher, but you can always be better. And as much as you're teaching, you're learning so much. And from year one to year seven, I'm a completely different teacher because of what I've learned, how I've grown, how I've improved, how my philosophy has changed. And I know even five to 10 years from now, I'll still be different. And I think that's important in really any job anyone does. Um, so that's kind of my story. <laughs> Good. That's awesome. I feel that way about pastoring. Yeah. As I, <laughs> like I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm a different person year after year after year. Right. I like that. I'm not, I'm not arrived yet. And I don't think I'll ever arrive. And I try to keep that attitude for sure. Yeah. yeah I think that uh, Kayla and I actually have a lot of like areas where we we kind of cross, um, uh, but in different por portions of our lives. Um, I think for me, teaching uh, also was not something that I ever thought about doing. Um, and like school was fine. I wasn't like super into school, um, but I got good enough grades and went to college and all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, when I was in college, I um, was, you know, going through the normal, like, what do I want to do with my life scenario <laughs> as a young adult. Um, and for me, like, desiring um, what God wants me to do in my life has always just kind of been like one of my anchor points. Um, and just my relationship with God has always been something that I hold close to my heart. Um, and a huge way that I, I make choices and decisions in my life. And so uh, during college, I was, um, I'd be like praying about it and um, just continually trying new things um, in college. And um, I had remembered, I was just like praying one day um, and the idea of just teaching just kind of popped into my head <laughs> and I didn't really know where it came from but then I thought well maybe that's something that I could explore um, and UW the University of Washington where I went to school um, they had a course about the history of the public school system in America specifically and I was like oh well that works you know I'll learn more about you know this system that I grew up in and maybe even more like help me decide if I want to actually teach um, and I took it and I learned about all of the different um, failed systems that we do have and how they all intersect in the lives of children. Yeah. And it's all of the hands of like the choices that we as adults make mm -hmm. and how, um, yeah, like you can track kids and um, from when they're 
you know, kindergartners, you know, kindergarten year five, <laughs> and you can track um, behavior, you can track um, patterns, and you can see how racism, how sexism, how um, poverty, um, all of these systems kind of compile and are, you can see the discrepancy between those that are born with and have privilege and those that um, don't. And so um, as I just continued to take that class, um, it also intersected just where I was in my spiritual walk in learning more about God's heart for social justice. Um, and it just kind of broke me to the point where I was like, yep, that's, that's a mess I think I wanna get a part of, become a part of. Um, because I, um, yeah, I was like, I want my job, my career to have a purpose. I'm not going to just do something for the sake of making money because that doesn't fulfill me. Which I think is a great segue to uh, the, the next question that I, that I want to ask. It's, you know, this is the Common Good podcast and uh, you're part of the Common Good Church fam. So one of the things that we always ask um, those on the podcast is, you know, how, when you think about this idea of being for the common good, because uh, I think part of both of what you both shared in your testimonies, I think it already kind of started to come out a little bit. But one, how do you understand this idea of this notion of the common good uh, as, a, as a Jesus person, as a person of faith? Um, let's start there. I, I've got kind of a follow up question to that. But kind of how do you define common good? Uh, maybe we can just start there as kind of common ground. How many times can we say common in a minute? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think at the end of the day, it's part of a bigger picture. When I hear common good, I think it's just like something bigger than me and just myself and my story and my experience that there's so many layers and facets and people um, that come into this bigger picture, which I would call the common good. Um, and I love what Leanne shared because I think, uh, as we're kind of discussing teaching and relating that to the common good, like God's plan is going to happen <laughs> whether we want it to or not. And, um, and I think, you know, as she shared falling into uh, the right place feels right because you know that you're, you're doing, you're living out God's will. You, you said yes at some point, maybe you said no a few times, but you said yes at some point. And I think um the work continues, even when it gets hard, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit, even when teaching or whatever work anyone does feels hard. There's a sense of fulfillment and even joy because um, you just, it's purposeful and you feel like you're doing it for more than the paycheck or more than the glory or more than the, the validation or the compliments or whatever that job might bring. Um, so for me, it's that. And, and I think too, um, when I talk about bigger picture, you know, I think of common good and like, I kind of have this idea of the image of God is not just one thing. It's just so many different faces and so many different backgrounds and so many different ways of being and looking and feeling. And that's beyond me. And I, that's kind of what I view as the common good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think I'm pretty similar. I would think when I think of common good, I think of, I think, um, well, first my brain goes to social studies and thinking about like common good and the welfare of all people, um, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I think, um, honestly, like a huge part of the common good still. I think that in the end, um, like working for the common good is serving others because by serving others, you're, you're supporting um, all people, no matter their background. Um, and I think by loving others, it leaks into other aspects of the world and our life, right? Whether it's like support, like climate change, right? Like, I think that loving people is also a way to, to, to leak out good and um, to other areas of, of the world. So, yeah, love that. I like that to leak out good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that should be a, a new sermon series, leaking out good. Uh, <laughs> talk, talk about maybe that's that that's weird. <laughs> but so so maybe then relate that. So kind of your understanding, this collective understanding of the common good. Um, how do you see that? How do you see that work then? That 
this idea of the common good, how do you see the work that you specifically do as teachers kind of intersecting with this kind of notion uh, of the common good? I want to build off you this time, Lee. Do you have any thoughts? Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know that, where to go. <laughs> uh, maybe to add, and then add to just like a second layer to that, Lee, uh, maybe talk about like, what are some of the things that you try to do even particularly as a teacher that, you know, like I, when I think about jobs, like there's like the job requirements and the job standards, but you know, I think there's this idea of going above and beyond, right? And I think oftentimes when I've listened to your stories and I've seen the ways that in which you teach, it feels like you're not just like doing the bare minimum, right? And so even talk a little bit about some of that, like what are the ways that you try to go above and beyond perhaps like what the job teacher requires of you and how that even fits into like your, your idea or your desire to really kind of live into this idea of, of the common good, specifically in the, the spaces that you occupy as, as teachers. Yeah, I think that one of the interesting interesting things about teaching is that when you walk into your classroom, you bring all of your identity and who you are into the way that you lead your group of kids. Um, so for me, I think that I recognize um, as a teacher of color, <laughs> um, I walk in with a very different um story than some of my kids um, have experienced. And not that's not to say like, you know, <laughs> all teachers have, you know, the same background or whatever. But I do think that in the experiences I've had it with my classes, um, I think that race is a natural, like topic on the table from the get go, which I see as um, honestly, like a huge privilege that I get to have that on the table from the get-go. Like I don't have to hide it or, you know, like I can't ignore it. It's there. <laughs> and um, in every single class that I've taught <laughs> and led, um, I always, without fail so far, have had conversations with my kids about how I am one of their first Asian American teachers. Mm -hmm. And I teach in an area that um, where actually a lot of my students look like me, mm -hmm. which is very interesting to me because that is not what I planned for at the very when I started teaching. Um, I'm teaching a group, uh, a community that's like the opposite of what I felt like I wanted to go into teaching for. Um, and so uh, I think that one thing that I've been recognizing um, kind of going back to a question is that I think that um, storytelling and the ability to um, share my story, but also to help my kids start developing their own stories of who they are and where they see themselves going. I think that's, um, that's become like a huge part of, of, what I love and also like how I feel like I am starting to interweave like this whole common good, serving the common good um, mentality is, is how do I help, um, how do I help kids see themselves um, in ways that are positive um, and empowering mm -hmm. um, and make sure that they're represented in my classroom and my curriculum. Um, and like even in the conversations that we have. Um, I don't know if that went off on a tangent. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> that's kind of, um, but I think that's kind of the thing that's been like on the, the front of my mind, at least in the last year or two. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, Kayla, build on that. Build, I mean, it, I, th I feel like, um, Leanne and I, we know this about one another. We're pretty similar um, philosophically as teachers. Um, and it makes me happy to know that whatever students I inherit at the high school age will hopefully have had someone like Leanne uh, before they come because it's so important at that young age, you know? Um, when she was talking, when you were talking, I, so I grabbed my phone because I saw this great quote today. Um, I think it was by, I can't, pa Paolo Fryer. And it says, I cannot be a teacher without exposing who I am. 
And I think it's like so important, especially I teach at a high school level. If I'm not authentic and genuine and like exactly who I am, they see through right, like right through that. <laughs> and they're not going to listen to me. I'm not going to be credible or yeah, it doesn't matter what I say and what I teach. It's just a complete shutdown. Right. Um, for me too, uh, I teach a population of students that is extremely diverse and it's not just racially. We're talking uh, socioeconomically, we're talking um, learning levels, uh, linguistically. And then yes, there's definitely a, a lot of racial diversity in my class. Um, I, I teach kids in every grade. Um, and so I love what Leanne talked about for representation. For me, um, I'm gonna be who I am and I want to celebrate each one of my students for who they are. Uh, I talk about how my classroom needs to be a safe space, um, how we're inclusive, and, and this, and we're in, when we're in person, it's a little bit different than in the situation we're in now, but there's a lot of lab groups. Hey, empowering kids to, you see someone not with a group, you invite them. And you know, the, the students that tend to do that are the ones who aren't the designated leaders, you know, like trying to offer opportunities for kids to step up and, and go beyond who they think they even are. Um, and then, yes, I think within my curriculum, I mean, when you think science, you think of white men, you know, that's, those, those are the majority of the scientists that are out there. And so for me, um, especially now this year, in what I present to my students, uh, I'm trying to present um, scientists of different genders, of different abilities, even uh, of different races, different names, uh, immigrants, non-immigrants, people from around the world, because I want all of my students to see themselves in this class. Um, because the, the reality is a lot of students are taking my class just to earn the science credit to graduate. Um, there's going to be a lot of different goals academically for my students. Not all of them are onto a four-year college path and there's nothing wrong with that. I talk to them frequently how a trade school or an apprenticeship will get you more money than me. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Like college is not the be all end all. And that's something I think they're they kind of get taken aback from a teacher, like what a teacher's telling me not to go to college. And I, I don't say don't go to college. I say, do what you need to do for you. You know, what, who are you, what do you want and what do you want to accomplish? And so, um, you know, when I think about trying to attain the common good in my class, I teach very relationally. Um, to me, um, my content is not important. Uh, at the end of the day, they're going to either learn it or not. They're going to put in the effort or not. But the way they feel when they come into my class and when they leave my class is of the utmost important to me, importance to me. Um, and especially in this year, it's so important for them to know someone cares about them. Um, and so that's something that I've grown in. When I first, when I first started teaching, I would, I would think the kids who didn't do their homework were lazy or like they didn't care or the kids who got bad grades. And thankfully I was able to do some learning, read some books, kind of do some of the learning that Leanne did, you know, from her college class and realize, oh, you know what? These kids who don't get their homework done all the time, that's kind of like not their fault. Um, some of these kids don't have lights on at home, you know, or some of these kids have to work um, to support families. And so just understanding all those things, like I said, going beyond my own experience. Um, in my own class, again, another quote that I love that I was shared with me from a colleague at the beginning of this year, I think this is kind of my philosophy. It's by Brad Johnson, relationships before rigor, grace before grades, patience before programs, love before lessons. Mm -hmm. And I think that's who I'm morphing into. Uh, I don't think I've arrived, like I said, but I'd like to be that teacher when I'm thinking about working for the common good. And so some of the changes I even made this year is when kids have a missing assignment or when they fail something, because high school grades are important, right? Getting a high school degree is important. Some kids need to want or need to go on to post-secondary. Um, Anyway, so if they have something missing or failed, it goes in as a 50%. It's ludicrous that an F spans zero to 59%. And that's a conversation I've been having with a lot of people when all the other letter grades span 10 points, basically 10%, right? And so what I've decided to change is an F is a 50 to a 59%. Mm -hmm. And that helps me also evaluate my students based off what they know and not just what they're missing or what they didn't do. And so when they do turn things in and when they do show me what they know, they can still pass the class or even get a good grade. Um, it also teaches my students a little bit about priorities. Like my week was hectic. I can't get this assignment done. I'm going to get a 50% on it. That's not going to kill me. 
that's okay. I can still make it up with other assignments or whatever. So that was important to me. Um, I allow corrections for almost everything because growth, improvement, and learning should be valued more than just performance. Uh, and that's a hard pill for me to swallow because I'm super performance driven. <laughs> and so that's some learning that I've done over the years as well. Like we need to really put it out there to the world that I have not been this person for the past. Yeah. You know, like this is only only having some some uh, you know feet kicked into my butt a little bit and some hard conversations and some very uncomfortable moments of like. I could do better, you know? Uh, and I think that's what it is, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, so those are just kind of some of the things that I try and focus on in my craft, in my classes. Um, and it's definitely not shared between all my colleagues, especially in a science department. You know, science is very rigorous and it's very serious. And, you know, you can't talk about Black History Month in science. Why would you do that, you know? <laughs> and so, um, those are things I'm trying to push a little bit, even within my own department. Um, I've been really, really blessed this year to be part of um, our school's equity committee to continue learning um, about how to decolonize curriculum and how to incorporate ways for my students to identify um, with all kinds of different stories and just to learn outside themselves. Because if I'm gonna learn outside myself, then you should too, you know? Like if you're a student who didn't realize um, something about an experience of someone else, then we should talk about it and we should learn about it and remember, hey, someone else is going through something. So maybe we should let that sit for a little bit and then we can move forward together. So yeah. I wow. feel you on all those things. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. <laughs> Thank you both for, for just sharing those things. Um, I just love the intentionality, you know, and I think um, so it's, it's encouraging to know that, and even for listeners, I think it's helpful, right? So like the common good and what it looks like to work for the common good could look so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we can think about the things that we do from just the perspective of what it is that we need to do. But I think if we start to think through this lens of the common good, I think it just opens up so many different like possibilities, right? And opportunities to, to be more intentional and thoughtful, uh, about whatever it is that we do and the work that we engage in. And so it's really cool just to see the ways in which both of you are, are just really thoughtful and intentional about that uh, as teachers. So um, yeah, super, super encouraging. Hey, Kayla, you mentioned on a number of occasions, you know, some of the chat, or I don't know if you use the word challenges, but you alluded to obviously teaching in this season. And so we obviously can't have this teacher edition and not talk about this season or this pandemic, I should say. Um, That has obviously rocked all of our worlds Um, and certainly uh, whatever profession or career or whatever we do in life, like there's just been so many different challenges, but um, I'd love for you both to just share a little bit of like, what's it been like to to teach in a pandemic and uh, to teach virtually uh, online on zoom, you know, obviously the, the current circumstances have challenged and changed a lot of dynamics of a lot of different careers and professions, but um, I think teachers and teaching has certainly been in the spotlight in a lot of different ways for a number of different reasons. And we'll have some of those conversations momentarily. Um, but yeah, maybe just just share a little bit of kind of how has that experience been? What was that like transitioning to online? Um, how you doing? And, <laughs> I don't know. What, what are maybe some of the challenges? Uh, I, I know that we could probably go on for quite some time talking about that, but um, yeah, anything you want to share just around that? Yeah, sure. I'm sure like our challenges are like vastly different between me and Kayla since Mm. I have um, eight-year-olds, eight and nine-year-olds who I would consider as like the youngest (laughs) in terms of the ones that are fairly competent at using the digital platforms that they're forced to use right now. Um, yeah, without having to like pull my hair out, like constantly, like I have colleagues that are working with the kinders and the first graders. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand how they're doing it, honestly. Um, but I'm also very privileged in that the district I am has the resources and the capability to get my kids what they need and to get me what I need plus more. So um, in that sense, like, I feel like I don't 
I, I've honestly enjoyed online teaching. It's had its challenges for sure. Like I definitely can't get as much data on my kids in terms of how they're doing day to day, or I can't, I don't actually trust a lot of my data. Like my kids will take tests online. I'm like, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, I also recognize that even like when they're reading um, on the screen versus a book in hand, it's very different the way that they take in the information. Um, and I, I recognize that all of that affects their learning. Um, but that's all just in terms of like data collection and reading my kids and making sure they're meeting standards. But um, I feel like in terms of building a community with my kids, it's been really fun. And it's actually been really life-giving compared to um, not, I mean, not really compared to anything. It's just been really life-giving. I think that's the part of teaching that is amazing is that you do build a, a small little community within a greater community. Um, and uh, yeah, like it's been cool to, I have like, um, I, I get to see them like connect with one another over the computer. And they'll like, like today we had a whole conversation about what is chain mail? Because there's like a lucky letter that's going around on their chats, telling each other that they care about each other. But it's like this long paragraph that someone else wrote and they're copying and pasting it all over to each other. But they're just telling each other that they're like, oh, I'm glad you're in my life. Like it's little things that, like that, um, that I think have, have made it really fun. Um, and I also know, like, I think with elementary school, like, yes, we have to go back. There's no denying it. Um, kids do so much better learning in person. Um, doing the group work is much more engaging than trying to do it online. Um, but, you know, with that, it's like, there's a whole other can of worms. Um, but I think that because they also have this, this light at the end of the tunnel that like everybody knows this isn't forever. Even if it's a year, ends up being a year, we know it's not forever. And so because of that, I think uh, it, it makes, it kind of like takes it down a notch and we're like, we're okay. We can check in with each other every day. We can say hi, we can um, show each other that we care about each other. We can listen to one another. Um, and in the end, I think like that's, yeah, that's just kind of what's been getting me through online learning. Yeah. Well, I'm about to be a Debbie Downer. You two are my therapists right now because my experience is very different. <laughs> um, my daughter is in first grade. And so um, and I actually teach on a part time schedule. So I've actually been able to observe her teacher and her experience. And it sounds very similar to what um, Leanne was talking about as well. I think it takes an intentional teacher to build that community. Um, even today, how do you want to be greeted? And it's like with a high five and a fist bump and they're all doing it into the cameras, you know, and uh, little check-ins like that um, and the building of community is what I'm missing um, because my high school students, uh, normally even in person, uh, there might be pockets of people who know each other or who are in other classes with each other, but there are a lot of people who don't know each other. Um, so for me, for the past however many months this has been, I have been teaching gray squares with their name in it. Um, I kind of laugh and I think about when we do go in person, I feel like I want to blindfold myself because I'll know them better by their voice than I won't know their face at all. Like I won't. That's not, it's funny, but it's true. Like I, <laughs> I tell the students all the time, if I pass you on the street, don't get mad at me for not saying hi, because I don't know who you are, you know, like but if you say <laughs> something, I'll be like, oh yeah, Johnny, that's you, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think the way the school year started, I was like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna try a bunch of things out. I do little icebreakers. I do all kinds of things to try to build some sense of community. Uh, and it's not working. Um, just, you know, plain and simple. It's just very difficult for students to have buy-in. Uh, the one thing that has worked for me is connecting with students who do come to the Zoom. My students have a choice of either being, it's called synchronous or asynchronous learning. So synchronous is when they're in the Zoom call with me or they can access everything um, on their own, basically through um, a website that we're, a platform that we're using. So the students who do come to the Zoom, um, I, 
at least once, I would say every other week at a minimum, uh, I would put them in individual breakout rooms and just do a check-in with them. Hey, what's good? How are you doing? You know, like how's things feeling? How are you feeling about this? Some kids really want to talk. Some kids don't. Um, some kids don't even go to the breakout room because their name is there, but they are not there. <laughs> so you can, um, it's just funny, you know, like there's a lot of kids who will come to the zoom and just, I won't know this, but I'm assuming they're asleep or they've left their device to go do whatever else they want to do. Um, it's gotten difficult over the course of the year because of the mental health piece to be, to be honest. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Uh, I, another thing that has shown me why it's so bad is I do these anonymous chats. So I have my students rename themselves. There's, there's things are off anyway, right? There's no video on. They rename themselves to dots or dashes. And I ask them questions like, how are you doing? And in the chat, it just goes, they just spill. Um, I ask them like, if you could tell your teachers anything, what would you want to tell them? And for all of them, they want less work. I mean, they're, and my school, we have eight periods and the way things were scheduled, they'd have eight homework assignments a night, which is not how it was when we were in person. And they're just overloaded. Or I wish my teachers knew that Zoom fatigue was real. I wish my teachers knew that I'm trying really hard and I usually get better grades, but I can't, I don't know why I'm not getting good grades this year. Or I wish my teachers knew that I have to take care of my two younger siblings. Or I wish I, my, my teachers knew that I have to work because my parents don't have work. I mean, like we're talking really hard stories coming out um, and if I get emotional, I'm sorry, but that's just who I am. <laughs> um, it's, it's been tough to really hear some people's situations. Um, and I think sometimes I take it on emotionally, right? Um, the burdens of my students, not because I think I need to carry them, but because there's some hard stories. Um, I have a student whose father is at risk of deportation right now. That's what he's going through. And it's, it's intense. And he's a great kid. And, and um, yeah, it's just things like that. I have a few students uh, who speak English as a second language. And we're not talking like we can still communicate and they have an accent. We're talking like they came to this country sometime last year, never speaking English. <laughs> and now they're in this remote setting when all they can do is really hear orally. I mean, it's, it's horrific. That's no way to learn. So part of the challenges is learning and figuring out how I can support my students. Like I said, I have, um, I have a caseload or a population of probably about 120 kids and about 50 of them have IEPs. Those are individual educational plans. Those are for students who have learning disabilities. So in this setting as well, I have some kids who have executive functioning disabilities, so they can't even work the computer. I have students who can't read at the same level as their peers, so they need to use a reader or someone to help them read. I have students who have... Um, disabilities in math. And so part of what I have to do is create every assignment three times. So I create a general one, I create a modified one to help with those learning disabilities. And then I create a translated one for my Spanish kids. I don't even know if it's a good translation, but I'm hoping it is. I use Google Translate. Those of you who speak other languages, let me know if it works. I just learned last week that you can do a presentation through PowerPoint and it translates your uh, speech into an, any language you want. And so for the past week, I've been basically doing my lectures via PowerPoint and seeing my words translated into Spanish, fully knowing it's not a great translation, but hoping that at least my students are getting something, right? Anyway, I think this big vent session has been very good for me. But um, <laughs> the biggest thing for me, especially now, because I'm in second semester in high school, we work on semesters. I have um, a lot of students that are failing a lot of students that have all their assignments missing and a lot of students who have just stopped showing up. And that's the hardest part. Um, and I think, and we'll probably talk about this, this in a second. We think about the return to school being so important for mental health. I agree with that. However, it's almost too late for my students. Um, my students have given up and quit and, and just stopped. Um, sometimes they still come and sometimes they still appreciate that I'm there and they know that I care and they know that I'm going to give them so many freebies, as many as I can, right? <laughs> um, but it's hard. It's just hard. And I think as much as I want to feel sorry for myself for whatever work I have to do and whatever I don't get and whatnot, our students are going through so much more than what we would ever imagine possible. Um, and so for me, that's the hardest part, knowing how much my students are hurting and not knowing how to help, right? 
you know, Kayla, you're talking a lot about just a lot of the different challenges that different students mm-hmm. have. Um, and, you know, Leanne, earlier you were talking about, you know, as you were just learning about the education system, right? I think a lot of people are aware of like the disparities, the inequities, um, the, the so many different problems that are within the education system. And I think this pandemic 2020, you know, obviously it's put a spotlight on a lot of the different issues and problems that we have in our country and our nation as a whole. But I think it's, it's, it's amplified, right? A lot of these things that we've even kind of seen within the education system. Has that changed the way at all in what you think about um, kind of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis or even just about education as a whole? Um, I don't know, maybe you don't have fully formed thoughts, but just kind of curious kind of how that's been kind of shaping and forming what you're thinking about. I think there are very real um, life experiences and situations that set kids back from a very early age. And I don't think that people in our education system understand that fully. And I'm talking all the way from a classroom teacher to district administration. I think some people want to spew words um, that say that, oh yeah, no, we're, we're going to address equity in our district or we're going to give trainings to our teachers to make that a thing to help with whatever it is but they're just words right now. We're so far, and I'm speaking obviously from my own experience in my own district and maybe even within the state of Washington, but we are so far uh, from really achieving anything because I think that's what this pandemic has really proven. Um, Some specific examples, and I've shared this before with with you, Royce, is um, our school year started in September. I had students only getting their laptops from the district, and which is great. The district got our kids' laptops, good for you. But you had a long time to figure this out. You got a lot of money. You're able to do this. Why did my student only get their working laptop at the end of October? <laughs> Just like, that's not anything I can control or help with. And then when my student comes in, finally able to finally able to attend a class, and there's eight of them, my, you know, for me, I'm like, my class isn't the most important. We're going to find a way to make you pass. I mean, this is the only thing I can do on a personal level for my student, right? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to excuse everything from before. We're going to start fresh from here. Um, Here's a bunch of videos and and answers to worksheets so that you can kind of work through it, but it's overwhelming right away from the get-go. And this might be a student that had some parents that maybe don't speak English as their first language. So maybe they didn't understand the emails or the application process. Um, So that's one barrier. This might be a student who has one or two parents, however many they have at home, that work full-time and can't bring them to get their laptop, like don't have that transportation. And yeah, we've gotten to a point at my school where they're willing to drop it off at home, which is great, but that's not how the year started. Um, you know, or maybe it's, I go, I have to take care of my siblings and getting them going is most important because I can just, you know, go to night school or get my credit back in the, in the summer because my life situation is such that I'm now the caretaker of the home. And these are inequities. These are very, very much um, unfair things that I I think a lot of people, including myself um, with privilege, tend to forget sometimes because we only look within the scope of what our own experience is. And this is why I share when I first started teaching, I was like, gosh, these kids don't care about their grades. You know, the reality is they care a heck of a lot about their grades, but they feel like crap about themselves because of what their grades look like. And it's to no fault of their own. It's just the the situation and the life that that they might have been born into, um, which sucks, you know, and I think there's so much and and Leanne can speak more about this, but there's so much data about even um, students when you think about the school to prison pipeline from kindergarten Um, if they're pegged and they're someone who's considered a bad behaved child, there's so much research and data about students of color are disciplined different ways than white students um, for doing the exact same bad thing. And then because they get expelled from an early age or because they've been labeled like this, it follows them their entire school career. And they're more likely now to be one of those students that I thought was not motivated, but that's because they've been put in a box, right? Right from the get-go because of the color of their skin because of the way they speak, because culturally a teacher hasn't taken the time to understand, 
oh, you know, my their parents might have taught them that this is the way you address a teacher or this is the way you stay quiet. You never ask a question because you show them ultimate respect. This is a very common thing that comes up. Uh, for, and a lot of teachers think that these students don't care, don't want to engage. And it's like, actually, um, their families don't want them to ever ask a teacher a question because it's disrespectful. And that's just a cultural thing. Anyway, very, very long-winded answer for um, the fact that we are nowhere close. I think we like to talk a big game, <laughs> uh, but we're not there. And yeah, it has this this past year has definitely magnified a lot. And I think we need to also remember within the state of Washington, we're way better than a lot of the, of the other states in this country. Um, and that says a lot because I there's a lot not so good going on in this state when it comes to um, the inequities that our students are enduring. Yeah, I don't even know how to build on that. Yes, <laughs> I would agree with uh, Kila. Um, yeah, I think that in terms of like the ways, especially 2020 has changed a lot of, um, a lot of the perspectives in general. Uh, I feel like for me, it's been opening up more of, um, it felt almost like a wake up call again. <laughs> and, and I went into teaching knowing all of the systems that were play in place and the problems that were in it. Um, and I mean, my first year of elementary school teaching was 20, was the year we closed halfway through, right? So <laughs> the beginning of that year in itself as a first year teacher was insane. <laughs> and then and then for it to change halfway through into something completely unknown. Um, on top of that, for all of these systems to blow up and like resurface, um, specifically racism and how that resurfaced um, and not, I shouldn't even say resurface, it's always there. But the fact that um, it was suddenly all over the news, right? And um, it's like issues that um, a lot of a lot of my students and their families have the privilege of ignoring. Mm -hmm. um, so for that to come into my classroom and to start to think about to no, sorry, <laughs> this is like a big thing for me, but um, to think about how, like to question myself, like what am I teaching? What are the ways that I'm approaching uh, my, like the ways that I'm learning how to teach in this first two years um, and to have that wake up and, and force me to, to bring it back all into frame almost, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, it was good, but it's, it's also like, I'm back into a space where I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm just like paralyzed with the weight of all of it. Yeah. <laughs> as much as like, I want to, to do something. Sometimes I feel like I, I just don't know what to do. Um, but I, I think that when I think back to like when um, the spring of like 2020, when um, when George Floyd and everything, um, those were really interesting conversations to have with my kids um, because I knew it was something that couldn't be swept under the rug and shouldn't be. Um, and I'm thankful that the schools that I'm work I worked in, right? Like they also did not want us to sweep it under the rug they're like well you're going to talk about it because there's no way you can't but it's also important and it's you know started a lot more change and and reflection within our teaching community which is awesome and it's good it um but then it's like the actual march of it right like it's not just something we did then it's something that we need to continue to do and I think that one thing 
one way is that it kind of reawoke my framing of how how does it change your teaching, but also how does it change my understanding of what does it mean to serve the common good? It's like, well, I understand if, if I understand the community I'm serving, the people I'm serving, I understand that they have the privilege, similar to me, I recognize I also hold that privilege that in some ways I am able to ignore it at times, right? Not always, race is still a part of who I am, but I still have some privilege in that I can't ignore it because I'm also perhaps I just the, the, the privi other privileges that I have in my life, I can ignore it. Um, but to recognize that that's already started, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, my kids are growing up in a space where they can ignore the issues of, of racism, of other systems. Um, because it doesn't affect them directly. And so I think that understanding that if that's, that's the privilege that you're growing into, then as a teacher, then I want to make sure that I responsibly teach you and expose you to the experiences of other people that are not within the community that you live in. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And I think that's something that I'm still like fleshing out both for myself um, and in my craft. Um, but it is like something that I'm starting to, I think it is affecting the ways that I'm making choices with my class this year compared to what I did last year. Yeah. Um, I might have to edit that. That was a bit of a ramble. <laughs> I got there eventually. <laughs> that's good. Well, I think that speaks to the journey and the process, right? And like, we are all in process. None of us have arrived, right? And I think that's the posture, right? That I think God invites us into, right? As we experience the things that are happening around us and to us, that it is opportunities for us to engage it and to ask those questions that change, right? and influence the ways in which we go about uh, our lives and the ways in which we do things. Um, well, I appreciate, appreciate the both of you, Leanne and Kayla, you guys are amazing. Um, I know some of you have to go back and like do schoolwork right now and deeper. <laughs> so I, I so, so appreciate uh, just the both of you taking time um, out of your schedules uh, to have this conversation and just to share your heart, uh, the challenges, the struggles, the joys. And uh, my hope is for those who are listening that, we would kind of perhaps just get a, a little bit of a window into the world as teachers and that we'd be thinking about you all because uh, you guys are doing such important work. And, uh, and I hope that uh, for those that are listening, uh, you'll be praying not just for Leanne and Kayla, but be thinking and praying for, for all of our teachers and uh, especially during these crazy times uh, that we find ourselves in. So uh, Leanne and Kayla, thank you. Thank you again so much for your time. Really, really honored uh, for everyone that tuned in. Uh, thanks so much for watching. Uh, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you were inspired, challenged perhaps to think about what it would look like for you uh, to be for the common good and to work for the common good uh, in the spaces and places that you occupy. occupy. So, hey, if this was helpful to you, uh, if you were encouraged by it, uh, share it out, uh, subscribe to the channel, follow it, uh, rate it, comment, like it, whatever good stuff you do, um, that, that's awesome. And uh, until next time, um, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. God bless.